1: Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome. This is Judge
2: Jim Gray. Wherever you are in our great country or around the world, we are here on the Voice America Variety Channel talking about Various issues facing us today and around the world, Uh, the libertarian way with Judge Jim Gray. In fact, if we utilize libertarian values, responsibility, accommodation, individuality, equal rights, equal opportunities for all, we will all rise together. And today, this segment, we're going to talk about something that's heartbreaking. I know for all of us around our country it 's an increasing problem uh, it 's a blight on in effect who we are, and that is the cycle of homelessness it it just it 's really gotten into a, almost desperate measures but cheer up, help is on the way. Our guest today is uh, paul leon l e o n who 's an r n Uh, And uh, he is a public health nurse, or was for the County of Orange, which is where I live in Orange County, California. But he is now an organizer, CEO, and founder of something he calls the Illumination Foundation, which is a grassroots nonprofit organization whose mission is to break the cycle of homelessness. So this Illumination Foundation will, as they say, provide stable housing, wraparound services to homeless families through their programs. This is what we need, an institutional response. I've written a Actually, a column in the Orange County Register, our local paper, it was published on Sunday, November 24th of 2019, entitled "A Proposal for Solving Our Homeless Problem." Uh, instead of these sporadic, or as I call them, even spasmodic responses from government to throw, yeah, okay, 20 million dollars on a one-time deal, and then they go off and fight other good deeds, and the situation is better for a little while, but but it's not it's not institutional, so it, we revert back to where we were. We're going to hear something from Paul. Leon, who actually will be an institution addressing the fundamental problems of, of mental health and and uh, uh, the, these other things in homelessness. So let's let's learn a little bit. Let's get some optimism, and let's then see how we can support the Illumination Foundation. So, Paul Leon, thank you for being with us, and let's get illuminated.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, Illumination Foundation was created um, about 13 years ago. Um, It was actually a class project, uh, MBA class project at UCI um, MBA school. And at the time, I was working with the county of Orange for the healthcare agency and started to see just the beginnings of um, homelessness in certain areas, Santa Ana, Anaheim, and at the time, I actually asked the county if I could um, transfer my position into being a homeless um, public health nurse and and go out into the field and start to assist the people that were um, that I was seeing on the street that were that was growing. The county agreed, and they created a position for me, and I was actually the first public health nurse. Um, that actually handled homelessness in Orange County. So that was about 15 years ago. Around the Civic Center in Santa Ana, I would say there was probably about 100 to 150 people. The riverbed um, right next to Anaheim Stadium, at the time there was probably about 30 homeless encampment there. They were they're primarily veterans, older gentlemen. As you know, that grew into a couple thousand um, just a couple years ago. And so we really started to see a lot of the fallout from affordable housing, substance abuse, mental illness that had been there the whole time, but had now started leaking into the communities and not having a consistent um, foundation and institutions, like you said, to start to address those safety net problems before they happen, I would say about two or three years ago, we started to see the onslaught of a complete collapse of healthcare agency, um, housing, you know, the uh, nonprofits that were addressing parts of homelessness. And it really, I, I, I think we got to a point of desperation where in Orange County, we just started, you know, as you said, throwing money at the problem, trying some Band-Aid measures that, that weren't very effective. And so, we had the, the really—we um, were in a position that we had started the foundation and really understood that we had to address those, those first principles and the first things that we were seeing as far as the etiology of why this was happening— And, um, fortunate for us, it was at a time when we could bring a lot of partners together, not only Orange County, but Los Angeles statewide and the national level. And we started to see, okay, there are things that are working. We started to really address the problem, get a good handle on the problem. And for the last 15 years, we've been working on the solutions
2: well tell us
3: you know, there's a
2: difference between private responses and and governmental responses cuz i think the government is just just not assisted particularly at all from what i can see uh, you, you know you guess we have homeless courts and that sort of thing and we can talk a little bit about that in the court system but uh wh- how can a private foundation respond to put in some form of, of continuation, institutional response, where government does not, Paul Leon?
3: Well, there, there's actually, that's a great question, because now that's pretty much what we've, we've done. We've taken private-public partnerships and started to address the problem of homelessness and, or unstable housing, either one. And what had happened a few years ago I would say five to six years ago, we I was really working closely with the county, um, a few of the cities to try to address public-private partnership. But in many things, many social problems, Orange County especially, they weren't familiar with doing that. They, we would talk about it a lot, but we never really engage private businesses to address the problems. And when they did, they met resistance from this big, um, you know, institution of the health care agency or the county. And so they really didn't have the incentive to even try. So they would donate money. They would learn a little bit about the problem, then they would go away. But when it became to the point to where we had 2,000, 3,000 individuals that were on the street. And we had a real champion in Judge Carter, um, a Superior Court judge that I'm not sure if you know him, but he really took a look at this and said, you know what? I'm putting the onus on the health care agency, the county, and CalOptima, which is our um, Medi-Cal insurance company, to do something. He walked the riverbed, he walked the streets, um, and he was really was a champion to put pressure on the county to come to the table. We previously, Illumination Foundation, had been working with Disney, Wells Fargo, PIMCO, a lot of the big private companies, and educating them on the problem. And we had them up to, up to speed on, okay, here's the problem. How would you handle it? They had all kinds of ideas that at the county we really didn't think of, And they looked at it as a a relatively non-complex problem. You build more housing. You address mental health substance abuse. You put these long-term sustainable um, programs in place. When those two mixed and the county started working with the private um, industries and some of the big corporations, we immediately saw... um, a progression of more services. We saw a lot more nonprofits be able to come to the table. They worked with all of us to scale up to be able to to handle this massive problem. And so I would say the last two to three years, there has been more done to move towards solving the problem, truly solving the problem, than in the last 10 to 12 years.
2: Well, that's that's in that's in of course. Uh, I told you earlier uh, on the air that I did have a proposal. It was published in the Orange County Register on November 24, 2019. I'm going to take about 3 minutes and run this by you, Paul, and don't be bashful. You know, we're we're content to be blunt on all rise. So, I'd be interested in your response to my proposal, and it would start with the federal government. Uh, I would say that no one in our country would pay any income taxes on their first $30,000 of income, and these numbers are just used for illustration, but then what happens if you make no money? And the answer is, if you're a citizen, if you're here legally, we would be given a stipend of, say, $15,000 a year by the federal government, broken into maybe 12 monthly payments of $1,250. Now, what would happen if that were to be the case? I believe the private sector would quickly start providing some inexpensive dormitory room and board type living, so maybe for $1,000 a month, leaving the individual another $250 a month for various incidentals, toothpaste, that sort of thing. So then they would have the means and it would be on a continuous basis. It wouldn't be sporadic. It would be regular so people could count on it. Now, what you're going to because a lot of people are going to post that saying oh no wait a minute there are a lot of people that would use that money and they'd buy drugs or they'd gamble or they'd be irresponsible you need to have a triage but it should be done by the local community by the county by the state by the cities uh, and triage and i have three different groups paul and see if you would agree generally with these the first group is regretfully rather small but it would be a group that's just kind of down on their luck i just lost my job to a robot uh, i got sick and I lost my job, whatever, just that temporary financing of $1,250 a month for, you know, six months, nine months, whatever. I want to get back on my feet. I can get back on my feet. This will be temporary. And that's pretty much all that they would need. The second group, regretfully, is much larger. And there are people that are mentally ill. Uh, They have addiction problems to various substances, et cetera. uh, And they should be triaged. And if, in fact, they need a conservatorship, then that's what we should do. But they should be put into programs for mental health facilities for and getting uh, medications if they need them, which by the way really perform miracles. They come in for a bad bad mouthing for a lot of people, but in the mental health calendar, I saw that miracles were daily performed by the by the psychotropic medication if used appropriately. Uh, so if they have alcohol problems or gambling problems or whatever, put them on a conservatorship or put them into drug rehab, etc. And then there's the third group, and those are people and you. Probably know better than I Paul Leon but but uh, they are they think that they just like to camp they just like to be kind of professionally homeless or at least think they do and it's absolutely paramount and I agree with the court on these decisions that it's wrong to put somebody in jail for trespassing on public grounds or, or camping on public grounds if they don't have a place to go that's simply wrong but we should provide them either in some of these facilities uh, like uh, Fairview Men- Developmental Institution or even some of these military uh, uh- reserve military camps that are lightly used, provide a roof over their head, provide them to have a place to go, and then, of course, if they start defecating in public or or camping out, then the police can, in fact, enforce these various laws. Now, obviously, this is complicated. We're dealing with human beings. Some things are more complicated than others. What if you have children? What if you have truly special needs? Uh, What if it's more expensive to live in Orange county than it is in in Omaha, Nebraska, that sort of thing, but the the locals could figure this out, but what you need is this continual source of funding such that then the private sector can take over okay that 's my rant for the moment but paul leon you 're in you 're a lot closer to it than I am. What do you think about my proposal
3: you know i I absolutely love it i 'm sorry to see that proposal before, but we um and we actually pretty much almost everything you said, we can prove that it works, and we do it a little bit differently, but I think I really want to share with you some of the papers, um, that white papers we have coming out of some of the work we've done. We call it the 262, and the, the 262 correlates with every 10 people we, we bring into our, our program. And by the way, we are providers. We don't, we do the mental health. We do the substance abuse. We do the housing. We do the triage. We do all of that. And the reason why is because when we started, there weren't those nonprofits to do that. Now, as we, we're progressing, there's more nonprofits that are taking some of the pressure off us and we're able to transfer some of our clients. But for every 10 clients we take in, almost verbatim for what you said. The first two, the top two, they're easy to take care of. They, they just usually need some rent assistance. They could um, navigate the system by themselves. They might need first, last month's deposit, but they're, pretty much any nonprofit could work with them and get them into a permanent supportive housing state. The next six, In the middle are our core competency. These individuals have either mental health issues, um, substance abuse issues, um, just are really no infrastructure at all, never been taught. Those six um, individuals are core um, clients that we work with, and you're exactly correct. Once we get them stabilized on their mental health, medications. It's night and day. We have people that are working, gainfully employed, um, really adding to our social network that just needed the right medications at the right time and a little support while they were transitioning to the correct medicine. So, and then the other four to five in that area, is substance abuse that we have a pretty extensive treatment program um, to get them off heroin, um, crystal meth, the drugs that they're on. And then the, so that fix is what we do. And, and sometimes it takes a year to two years of working with those individuals, but eventually they will get to permanent supportive housing. And then the final two, the bottom two are, you know, I hate to word use the word sociopath, but a lot of Criminal element are involved in that bottom two. We have individuals that prey on our homeless, they prey on the mentally ill. A lot of drug dealers are in that group, and those two, normally nine times out of ten, need to either get arrested and um, some corrective at probation, corrective actions take on them. But we don't, we have to separate them out because it really only gives a bad name to the people we're trying to help, but they they can be quite dangerous. So, we really, when we do triage, our case managers have been doing this for years and years. They can pretty much define where somebody's at and start working on the program. So, to that point, the individuals, the six that are in the middle, it, it takes them quite a bit of time to get... Um, you know, to get up to speed. So working with HUD vouchers is one way, but there's not enough of them. Additional support from the community is just starting to um, to matriculate into that population. But I love the idea about if there was a, a, a steady stream of income, we know that these individuals will take advantage of it and use it to, to what people... Um, who don't understand homelessness would like to donate to. You know, when you donate to somebody, you're hoping that they're just not going to buy drugs with it. And we don't judge people that way, but we find that more than not, if they're given the responsibility and they're engaged and they have some skin in the game, they will do really well and and they really want to turn their lives around. So... That correlates really well with the op-ed you wrote, and it is, it is vital for the public to understand that program because currently, you know, when you talk to, especially, and I hate to say it, but a lot of people that are in South Orange County where homeless aren't, there's not a lot of homeless in their front yard. They haven't had a lot of um, interaction with a lot of people that they think are homeless or they think about this population, once they get to interact with a lot of our clients, they're thinking, wow, this isn't what I thought. I didn't realize that many of the people we take care of have jobs, um, but one bad incident, one health issue, um, just led them down to not be able to climb that ladder back up and get into meaningful employment and housing. Sure. So I I love the idea about uh, more education for the public, and I I think something like that is going to be essential for us to be able to handle a problem this big.
2: Well, one thing that uh, would be helpful, and and again, I adopted my my program from Milton Friedman, who's a hero of mine, he called it a negative income tax. I call it a stipend because I don't like the word negative, but it has to be regular. And it would go by allotment. If you're going to have the private sector provide this room and care facility, room and board facility, there'd be an automatic allotment to that facility of, say, that $1,000 a month directly out of their ATM account. So uh, then they would only have real access to paying the uh, other 250 But actually here on All Rise too, Paul, Uh, anybody can go to voiceamerica.com, go to the Variety Network and call up our past shows and one of them was uh, September 20 of 2019. We had someone that you may know or know of it's a a psychiatrist from the University of California at Irvine, you called UCI named Tom Graydon and he was talking about the benefits of the psychological the the psychiatric uh, and the medicines and I myself was on the mental health calendar as a judge, by the way, and would have, I still remember, there's only one time in 25 years on the bench that I felt maybe I was physically threatened. And this was by a man who happened to be a, a uh, tennis pro from a, from the desert area out here, was off his meds and was arrested and was really bizarre. So I ordered that he take his medications, which he did. And then I saw him again, maybe 10 days later. And boy, we were joking about playing tennis and how I would never go to Wimbledon and the rest. He was just a regular fellow. He had his life back. And I'm sure that you've seen this as well. Get to my question, though. Val Leon. I mentioned three groups. You mentioned the first two and then added one to what you called sociopaths, which I did not. Uh, i added one. My third one was people that really at least feel they want to be professionally homeless. They like to camp. They just like the lifestyle. Am I off base on that or is that group represented as well?
3: Well, I I think there's a very, very small group and, and We've I've heard so many people, especially these last couple of years, talk about that particular group. And when we're educating a lot of people that ask us questions about um, the homeless and they'll say, our people want to live out there. And in our experience, which is 15 years, pretty much nonstop, that we found very, very few people who said, yeah, I want to stay out here. The problem is like everything else, the questions and the opportunities that are being presented to them, for example, in the riverbed, you know, a lot of the police officers would walk up and just say, hey, we found a shelter for you, you know, you want to come. And, you know, the first question, can I bring my dog? Uh, no. And my um, girlfriend go, no, just you, and you, and you got to come now. Well, you know, that's all the support they have. So they just check that person off. Oh, they want to live out here. Or... The the same homeless person out in the street has been asked by faith-based groups, police officers, you know, starting nonprofits, hey, we can get you housing. And they'll say, yes, get excited. You got to come with me. We're going to, and then it falls through. So their, their trust and their, their experiences tell them that they're not going to help me. So they just kind of ignore them and say, no, I don't want to do it. I can guarantee you if we send an Illumination Foundation case manager out to a homeless encampment, they will be surrounded by almost everybody there. And the reason why is because they know we have housing. They know we're going to take them, put them in low barrier housing. They can bring their dog. They can bring their significant other and they will come that day. And the ones that won't, You know, they see their friends go, and then they will come after them. If we could provide enough housing and shelters like that, which I think we'll be able to do in a few years, we I I don't think we'll have, you know, we will have less than one-half percent of the people out there that are just out there because they haven't figured out where they're going to go. But I I would say 99% of the people just don't want, they don't want to live out there. But the way we had it set up, you can go in a shelter, but it's not very safe. You could get robbed. You can go in a shelter. You can't bring your dog. You can go in a shelter. You're going to go searched in and out. You can't really smoke. It, there's there's so many rules and, and the safety concern that they would rather live outside. And it's not a good option for them, but rather than, um, than have to live under the conditions from the shelter's we used to run. Now, now they've changed quite a bit. That's great.
2: Paul, this and is I'll, really I'll giving us some optimism. On we're going yeah, we're, we're going to come back after this break and, and talk about uh, this optimistic, because this is the most optimistic response from some knowledgeable people that I've really heard in this whole area. Uh, before we take our break, though, it's my opinion, and there's no real basis for it, probably, that maybe 30% of the people that are Homeless in Orange County and Los Angeles County are veterans. Uh, do you detect that same the uh, percentage?
3: Um, well, actually, I don't know if it's that high of a thirty percent. We kind of we use like twenty percent, but it it really has. That's one area of homelessness that has really um, decreased. And there's some cities and counties now are saying they have zero increase in veteran homelessness. And the reason why is because they really started offering a lot more services to veterans, and they cleared up the you know that when you classify a veteran, they would say you know on your discharge it was really specific. So for years it was difficult to get a veteran into housing and into services just because of the way they were classifying them as honorable discharge and you know what war did you serve in so. The VA has really made a, a great strides in allowing us to get veterans from uh, earlier wars into housing. And when it first started, everybody was expecting to see the American sniper, right, that type of, of, of veteran coming out. And they realized they'd see somebody that was on drugs, you know, sure. a little bit mentally ill, PTSD. They weren't addressing any of those problems. And for our general public, they didn't look at him as a, a veteran. Once they started working with these clients, they realized hey, this person was a veteran, and they really deserved Excellent. our help. And we didn't give it to him for 25 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, Paul, you that's a second piece of optimism that you have
2: provided to us and our listeners. So we're going to take a break quickly and then come back and talk about uh, the first question I'll ask you is the percentage of women, because I know it's sexist, but it really bothers me even more to see a woman be homeless than a man, and I don't apologize for that. But And also talk about housing, which is a critical issue, and you're onto something really spectacular in that regard on uh, shipping containers uh, turning into housing. But we'll, take, we'll come back and discuss Discuss these, get some more optimism and realism here on All Rise after these few messages.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. Join the Libertarian Party today at LP.org. Together, we can move mountains.
1: You are listening to All Rise, The Libertarian Way, with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray,
2: and we are here uh, on All Rise with our esteemed guest, Paul Leon. Who is the CEO and founder of Illumination Foundation here in Orange County, Southern California? And he really does have some answers. This man is experienced, he's knowledgeable, he's creative, and he's effective. I've gotten more optimism on this whole issue in the last half hour talking with Paul Leon than I've had in in many years. So, so welcome back. But before we get back into our issues, uh, I was uh, told by my wife or requested to throw in a little silliness into All Rise, so I do it usually after the break, and that is that I saw a sign recently saying, ban shredded cheese, make America great again. Okay, that's a stretch, and great is, of course, G-R-A-T-E, just to try to play a little home game here. But, but uh, the last thing that I wanted to ask before we go into housing, which is clearly important, is, and I, I acknowledge this again, it may sound sexist, but it bothers me more, Paul Leon, to see a woman be, be homeless than a man. What percent of the people that you have encountered uh, that are homeless are women, are female?
3: Again, that's such a great question because I'll give you a quick, um, a, a little history of how the homeless have presented to us. When we first started 15 years ago, the fastest growing population of homeless were women with children, children under the age of five. That has kind of stayed steady. A couple years in there, we had veterans coming back from wars. They were the fastest growing population for two years. But since that time, and recently, the fastest growing population of homeless are seniors and senior women. Um, I'll give you the, the um, statistics of a shelter we just opened for the city of Anaheim. Um, Anaheim funded uh, two large shelters, one 200-bed with Salvation Army and a 100-bed shelter that we run. So when we started it, we started with the idea we would have 75 beds for men and 25 for women. As soon as we opened it up, we had far more women and elderly women. We actually flipped it, and now we have 75 women and 25 um, men. We very rarely have a bed that's open, and now our next um, shelter that's going to be opening up could be in Fullerton will be 200 beds, and we'll have 80% of them will be women because there's just not enough beds for senior women. Paul, why? Why is it that we in our country have
2: seniors and a lot of senior women be homeless? They would assume that they'd be qualified for Social Security. Do they get Social Security? or what, What's the reason? Because this is a, a blight on who we are as a nation, in my opinion.
3: Right. Well, I'm, I'm not sure if you, you've you heard the term "gray tsunami, but the tsunami is here. The seniors that have now been trying to live on Social Security, which is not near enough. But again, it really represents almost the general population homelessness. But when you look at seniors, they become homeless for a lot of different reasons. The main one is they outlive their savings. And so we're really working close with ARP to really start working with young seniors to be able to save more money and to be able to secure different housing. Housing's always at the, the root of, of this problem. And of course, in Orange County, LA, California in general, housing is so expensive, they're not even close to to meeting the threshold to get into housing. The second is that our traditional family structure was you know, husband, wife, husband was a breadwinner. He passed away. If there was a medical reason involved, that took all the savings. Now you have the spouse who is 60 and older and no money, no immediate family, very few friends. The family structure wasn't the way it used to be years ago. Um, So, we're going to see, we're continuing to see it now, but we're going to see this is probably the number one. When I say crisis is a homelessness is a crisis, this is the number one problem we're going to see nationally is just seniors with not enough money, not ac- access to affordable housing. And so it is mixing in with our previous um, homeless problem that we had. And then you add in dementia and the medical care that they need. And it's off the charts as far as being able to to pay for any of these.
2: Just, you know, that reinforces my view that we should have this stipend, like I'm saying. Uh, and I'm going to send a copy of my editorial to all of my congressmen here in Southern California and act because we need that Stable funding. To my opinion, that's the only involvement the federal government should have, uh, and we, but we should really do that. And, and I go to my political philosophy, Paul, and, and we don't get into that a lot here in All Rise, but from my standpoint, if I were bleeding on the street right here, you would have no legal obligation to help me whatsoever unless you cause my injuries. That would be different. But we will because we want to, because we're compassionate people. And that's why we should help these people, not because it's it's a right or an entitlement, but because that's who we are. and And we should have this situation addressed. It is housing and it is simply some resources. There's an area, a safety net below which we should not allow, by choice, people to go below. And of course, that's what Illumination Foundation is doing. I do wanna talk about the uh, homeless, the shipping containers, the habitable apartments, but the first thing, you intrigue me in in your information that I received from you. Your mission at Illumination Foundation is to break the cycle of homelessness. Give us a formula. Uh, a, B, C, D, and E, whatever it is. What do you do, Paul Leon, to break the cycle of homelessness?
3: Well, there, there, there's obviously several things that need to be um, instituted into our programs, both you know locally, nationally, statewide, nationally. And the number one thing is to start working with, we have quite a few children programs, to start to work with the families with children, especially zero to five. Because in our shelters, we're seeing, in our family shelters, we're seeing generations of families. Uh, we'll see grandmother, mom, and then children. So starting to work with the, the children really stops that spigot of people coming in. The second thing that we really want uh, the Institute to break the cycle, and, and you alluded to it a couple times, the money is there. We fund so much money for homeless programs but it's not going in the right hands, And I'll give you a great example of, you know, a program that has been around for years that was not only ineffective, but just really caused people to be more compliant on our government. And that was Section 8 vouchers because Section 8 vouchers were distributed by HUD, huge agency. They really can't keep track of them, wasn't done locally. And basically, if you were marrying homelessness and got one of the vouchers, it was like hitting a lottery. You know, you got 70% of your rent paid. You only had to come with 30%. And then you had no incentive to keep going. You would get that for life. We, a few years ago, legislatively argued for project-based vouchers. So those project-based vouchers come to Illumination Foundation. I could go to you and say, hey, Jim, we're going to give you this voucher for one year. But you have to follow these things on this program and get self-sufficient, and then we're going to pull this voucher and give it to somebody else. We, we have right now about 145 of those vouchers. We've been able to serve about 3,500 different individuals and families with just those few vouchers because we're using them over and over again, and we can keep track of the people um, on a daily basis much more effectively than HUD can. So again, sure. we have to institute those type of, of programs where local nonprofits or businesses are controlling that money. And then thirdly is, you know, and again, you alluded to this earlier, is some of the, the laws and the ordinances for having private individuals come and build affordable housing are so archaic They've been on the, on the, you know, they've been in the state laws and the civic um, ordinances for fifty, sixty years, and they haven't changed any of them. So let's say you came in as a private citizen and said, "Hey, Paul, I want to build an ABU, which is a, a granny flat in the back of my house." You would have to have jumped through all these hoops, and you just want to have done it. Or if you get a big developer who wants to build affordable housing it just doesn't pencil out for them because they would have to go through all these regulations. So it really hampers the cities to to be able to build and construct urban renewals that allows affordable housing in their cities. That is changing now. And so all three of those things I just mentioned, one, we understand them a lot better. Two, we're really starting to change them now And boy, the influx of private dollars that are coming into this problem and working together, public-private, is really fast-tracking. And I honestly believe in the next three to five years, we're going to see a lot more people working in this space besides just small nonprofits like us.
2: Well, Paul, you have touched on two really important values that we call libertarian values here on All Rise. And one is, my goodness sakes, incentives matter. Let me say that again. Of course they do. Again, it's Milton Friedman, but incentives matter. So just like you were saying with those Section 8 vouchers, you win the lottery, uh, you get it forever, and it comes from Washington, that great bureaucracy off there somewhere. uh, And you have it for life, so why improve yourself? Why participate in the program no and the other one is that the private sector brings flexibility and and you are, have that with your uh, with your uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Illumination Foundation, I'm sorry. I, all I see is IF, which is <laughs> IF indeed. But, but right. put you give that flexibility. You, you get down there with the people. You roll up your sleeves. You respond to individuals instead of rules and regulations. But I would like to, because it was intriguing to me, and how I really started uh, uh, seeing you for what you are and, and, and inviting you here to all rise, is the... Uh, the situation with regard to habitable apartments and i had heard uh, from our mutual friend who introduced us that uh, private companies were interested in turning shipping containers into habitable apartments is that working uh, if if so why and if not why not paul leon
3: so um about 5 or 6 years ago they we started out with looking at alternatives to housing um, you know the regular brick and mortar houses that were taking years to build and were extremely expensive, even with the tax credits, it it just wasn't working. So um, a couple companies started with shipping containers. The first I know the first family one was built in Westminster and it was called Potter's Lane, and we actually have clients in there now, veterans uh, clients that are in there, but it was really cost-prohibitive, and it ended up taking too much time. Since that time, a lot of private companies came to the the table and they were looking at everything from prefab to modular to, um, to different kind of configurations that were housing. Some of the cities were accepting it, um, but everybody was starting to look at it. What's on the horizon right now and actually will be built in a couple months in um, the city of El Monte is a new um, type of building material. So it's a polyurethane that um, a gentleman named Charles Wee, who is a famous architect in Korea, developed. And it's a, it's a polyurethane that could be strong enough, inexpensive enough, durable enough, and could be erected in about two weeks and it it's beautiful. It looks like a regular home. It is temporary. It's 10 to 15 years, uh, but it could go longer. We're not sure yet. It won uh, uh, Mayor Garcetti's Homeless Challenge, and so they got a couple million dollars to build the first one that in November is going to accept um, eight families, two-bedroom, one-bath homes, and there's going to be eight of them, and I, I, I'm really certain that this is going to be one of the answers uh, because it could be mass-produced. And we have so many uh, areas in Orange County and Los Angeles, great example, Santa Ana. There's huge lots because there was easements developed when they re-put in the roads on Main Street that are just empty lots, trash in them. Those can be converted with these new modular housing structures that, um, that can be put up. They're basically assembled eight by eight panels and can be assembled in any configuration. And again, the, the really cool thing is it's a third of the price of both shipping containers and traditional housing. And it, it, and it can be used, it can be assembled by unskilled labor, which is huge for um, for us, 35% of our staff were previously homeless, and now this gives us a huge opportunity to use homeless, previously homeless individuals or unemployed to assemble this housing that they may live in. So it really is a win-win situation. And then the cities now are looking at it as it could be the answer for them to um, have a cost-effective way to to really get a lot of affordable housing. Because as you see, both L.A. and Orange County, L.A., there's about 60,000 people every night on the street. Orange County, we're estimating about 10,000. I mean, that's a lot of housing to build in a short um, period of time. We're going to need everything we can get. Micro communities, and I'll talk about that in a second. Modular housing, um, re- condition housing we're going to need it all and of course tax credit housing we need all that if we're going to really be able to uh tackle this problem in three to five years
2: well let me let me ask you a few questions raised by this because again this is optimistic um
3: i'm assuming that these
2: new polyethylene houses would be single story they're not going to be multi-story is that correct
3: they can be multi-story um Again, it took three years to get this through RACO and all the governing bodies. It just got licensed two weeks ago, but it can be stackable. They want to do the first initial, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000 units, and then once they know that, that they've worked out all the kinks, then they'll go to put elevators in. So it can be stackable.
2: So, this was developed by the private sector you 're saying by uh, dr wee yes. and uh, and his group so <laughs> hooray for them again um Are you having problems with unions if you 're going to employ unskilled labor building houses? Have you had any difficulties with labor unions in that regard
3: we We did initially, but the really nice thing is that it you know with with using um any kind of government money that you have to have a certain amount of, um, union labor, but we're working from the nonprofit side. So we don't need that. We can use, you know, um, at will labor. And we're not, we're not subject to the, the same constraints as, as if the government built it. Another reason why to, to really bring in private public partnership.
2: Indeed. And so, uh- a huge problem, I would think, you would be having, kind of politically, is that okay? You're going to put in 500 units of homeless people, some mentally ill, some even sociopaths, whatever. So you're going to you're going to start building slums, not in my backyard. Uh, have you encountered this? And and what's your response? And what's your view? Well,
3: so before we even went to this, um, you know, to the actual modular housing. We started a program called Micro Communities and and it was different than you know some of the the rehab drug rehab places where we were looking and purchasing six bedroom houses, and we were um, remodeling them and then moving our clients in as a group all throughout Orange County. We currently have about forty two of those. Um, maybe there could be one in your neighborhood, and we found that. In all these communities, number one, ours was usually the nicest house on the block. Number two, people's conception of homeless individuals was the riverbed. But not, it, nothing could be further from the truth. That's normally, the six people that we move in there or two families, they're in by 9 o'clock. Many of them are working. They make such great neighbors. Some of our homeless don't have cars. They take the bus. So they are, in essence, the perfect neighbors. Um, so we've been doing this for a while. If we did micro-community or if we did modular housing, it wouldn't be all in one area. It'd be spread around in, in different areas. And again, um, we, we you know, had initial um, resistance from some of the cities, but now they don't even know they're there. Much really similar to the, the six shelters that have been built in Orange County. People oppose them, um, both in Santa Ana, Anaheim, and now in Fullerton. And now we have six full-running shelters that nobody even knows they're there. So if done correctly, and you have nonprofits that are experienced with working with the population and groups of people, you wouldn't. you don't even know that they're in your neighborhood. And so this is one of the biggest, um, hurdles that we have to overcome that, you know, if done correctly and managed correctly, it is the answer to to not having people urinating, laying in the front of your business or house. And it's exactly opposite of what people are thinking, you know, instead of bringing them in and service and allowing them to have services. People are actually trying to push them away, which is the worst thing you could do because then nobody can help them and we don't even know where they're at or many times who they are.
2: Sure. Well, hear ye, hear ye! I, I love that statement. But anyone in our audience, first of all, I'm assuming that you're becoming as uh, more optimistic as I am. This is another real benefit that we're getting from from uh, this information on Illumination Foundation. And uh, secondly, uh, you know, we we can really make progress, and and by addressing these issues directly, these people are human beings, and uh, I wasn't aware that they were uh, even had some congregations of these homes where you wouldn't even be aware that they're in your community. I mean, that's just wonderful news. So, so hooray for that. And yes, in fact, incentives do matter. Uh, anything else that is on the horizon, uh, Paul, uh, your, your group? How can people get in touch with your group and provide you financing if, if they would like to contribute uh, and certainly learn more about what you're doing and, and get this optimism?
3: Well, yeah, our website, you know, um, www.ifhomeless, it, it's packed with information. Um, we have case managers that actually will go out if you, if you feel like that you see an individual and, and they need help. We, we really want to be the resource for that. Um, and we have an incredible amount of volunteer opportunities that we'd love people to come out break bread with our clients. A lot of the groups, a lot of social groups provide lunch, dinner, and they'll bring it and we provide the clients and the facility to be able to, um, to volunteer.
2: Well, that's just great. I'm going to ask our audience, uh, anytime, of course, as I hope you know, you want to call up past editions of All Rise, you can go to voiceamerica.com, click on the Variety channel. It's uh, 7 o'clock in the morning Pacific time. Click on that. You can see the All Rise uh, label, and then send it with a link to your friends. People need to know that help is on the way, and others need to know politically that, wait a minute, dealing with the homeless is not going to cause problems in my community. It's the human thing to do. It's the right thing to do, and it's not going to cause any of these difficulties. We need to spread this word. So there you have it. Paul Leon of the Illumination Foundation. Go to ifhomeless.org, www. Dot if for standing for illumination foundation if.org get more information support this group and spread the word a lot of bad things are happening in this world as we know but there are also some good things too and we're coming to grips with this intractable problem paul Leon, thank you for being with us thank you for what you do thanks for all of your organization as well and your caring and your effectiveness bringing incentives back to this bringing our Our uh, our groups into this Uh, any final words that you would like to
3: leave with us before we uh, sign off Paul Leon no well I just want to thank you and thank your listeners and again um, encouraging everybody that you know to to really educate themselves on homelessness because it's not what you think and a lot of the people are our friends, neighbors and in many instances our families so thank you
2: well, indeed so. Incentives do matter. The private sector, once again, is able to grapple with this and, and address it effectively. It's li- employing those libertarian values. Again, we mentioned incentives. Then we mentioned caring and responsibility and uh, putting responsibility on all levels, but on us for our caring as well as on the recipients who, uh, if they have incentives to do better, they will. And of course, on the pre enterprise system for uh, for putting together these uh, polyethylene homes that are in the future, uh, the I thought the shipping containers was a really good idea and was working pretty well as well. but uh, good things are happening because we 're Americans because we believe in these libertarian values. so once again, Paul, thank you for being with us, and tune in again and another next week at seven o'clock a m Pacific. 10 o'clock Eastern Time for another edition of All Rise. In the meantime, I will leave you with the thought, as I always do, uh, with the saying that life is good. Why? Because it is.